3: Good morning, New York. This is the Catch Roundtable, John catch here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have Governor David Patterson, Congressman Peter King. We have Paul Zuber talking about what's going on in New York State on businesses. Bill Bratton, what's going on with the NYPD and, and terrorism. Alan Dershowitz on common sense in America. And we have a special. We have Former Mayor Bill de Blasio talking to us, how are things the morning after he has not been mayor for three years, and it's an interesting conversation. And let's start off with Michael Stoller on a real estate report in New York.
0: Good morning. This is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. So what's really happening in the real estate market? What's happening with financing, multifamily, hotels, I don't have the answers. So today I've brought the senior executive managing director of Meridian Capital David Sheckman to the show to tell us what's really happening in the world. You spoke to me the other day and you basically said to me that the, the, the it's it, it's discreet. The, the world is really not doing well. There's there's certain opportunities, but it's not the first part of the year wasn't good.
4: So what what's happening now for the balance of the year? Well, uh, first off, it's always an honor to be with you, Michael. Um, happy to be here today. The first half of the year, across the board for commercial real estate in New York City, was was really a big question mark. Um, we were dealing with interest rates over the past twenty four months. We've we've nearly seen across the board a one hundred percent increase in interest rates. We've seen two major bank failures, and and we have a lot of question marks about who's going to be putting out money and, and where the value lies. I think by the time summer came around, people realized that New York is open for business. I heard a statistic yesterday that uh, office occupancy has risen to 58 or, or 60%, depending on who you believe. And if that's true, I think another barometer is the, the traffic. We're seeing more people in, in, in the five boroughs leaving for work and coming home from work. But ultimately, we've got some headwinds that are um, just really uh, without dispute. Uh, We've got uh, tremendous interest rates. We're in 25-, 30-year highs. Um, We've got taxes, which are going no place but up. Uh, We've got a a tremendous problem to solve with our migrant crisis, according to the mayor um, and anybody who reads the papers or walks the streets. And we have two major changes to the way we – technological changes. We shop differently. Brick-and-mortar retail is just different fundamentally now for years. And the way we office, even if we have uh, Jamie Dimon banging on the table telling people they're going to be back in their office four to five days a week, the truth of the matter is the offices are leased, but very few people are doing five days a week. So the city is trying to solve that. New York is, uh, Manhattan's always been a bedroom community, but it's also been a live workplace. Now you can work from anywhere. So there's some real questions as to where do values go. So and- where,
0: where are values? We were talking the other day about the office buildings. Office buildings is one specific topic.
4: Well, you know, when you talk about office buildings, uh, and and again, we're provincial, we're talking about New York, I'll forget about the rest of the country, it's really a tale of uh, two office buildings. You've got Class A, and then you have everything else. So when we talk about the towers, the towers have rebounded. Um, You have major uh, corporations and the concerns that occupy them commanding their folks to come back. And while leasing volume is down and leasing pricing is down, there are leases being signed in the in the shiny, gleaming towers. But if you look in the evening, six, seven, eight o'clock at night, no longer do people burn the midnight oil in mass in the city. Um, I think, as a general proposition, um, people believe that these office buildings are worth less because people are officing in mass less. However, they are definitely picking up steam and and there's a renewed interest. I'm glad to say that there is a huge contrarian bet. Um, Really since uh, July and August of this year, really only in the past four to six weeks, we're starting to see a lot of foreign capital. And as a true New Yorker, foreign as anybody who's not from New York or that exotic place, New Jersey, we're seeing office owners from Chicago, Toronto, Asia, Europe. They're all coming to New York and saying, you know what? I think what goes down will certainly come up. I'm interested in buying an office building, so I'm glad for that. But then you talk about the Class B and the Class C office buildings, those mid-block Garmin Center um, or, or in the not in the, the midtown core. A lot of those buildings are struggling. Those buildings were selling for five, $600 an existing foot. To the extent that they're being sold or there's transactions happening, they're cut nearly in half. Besides being cut in half, who's lending on these properties? Well, therein lies the rub. Um, So you you find an office building and, and, um, you know, we're in the market with a handful of them. You find a bidder who says, you know what, I'm not in this for one or two years. I believe in New York in perpetuity. I'm going to buy this building and I'm going to hold it ad infinitum. I don't need to sell it in three years because I think in 10 or 15 years I'm going to be the smartest uh, office building owner in the world. And they're probably right. So they go out. But they, but they have to have the holding power to pay
0: their operating expenses, their insurance has gone up, their taxes have gone up. So there are certain
4: problems. Well, that's a great point, Michael. If, if you look at historically who has bought these office towers, they've generally been, they've generally been institutions and in private equity that buy these things – and inside of 3, 5 or 7 years they sell them or have another capital event like a refinance so they can return that money to their shareholders and investors. All of our rolodexes have turned upside down in the brokerage world. The people who are coming in today are the people who don't have to borrow their equity. They certainly need mortgages. Nobody buys a 100, 200 million dollar building without a mortgage But a lot of these folks are generational holders. They're people like life companies whose cost of capital is less. They're making a bet that in seven or 10 or 12 years, their money's going to double. And today, there are buyers. People are making what I like to call the John Paulson contrarian bet. Um, But the truth is, time will heal everything. Um, this city, uh, like all other cities, is resilient. And I think, I think office in the long term is a good bet, albeit with a paradigm shift. Okay. I'd like to thank David Shekman for being here and giving his views
0: on the state of the real estate market. See you next week.
3: This is Sunday morning is uh, former Governor David Patterson to give us his update of what he thinks the situation is in New York, the world, and uh, it things are getting pretty uh, ornery, but uh, Governor, what say you?
1: Well, John, I was really shocked that a week ago yesterday, when Israel was attacked and the manner in which they were attacked, and I won't even go through all the morbid, horrifying acts that Hamas committed on that day, how within an hour or two, there were a number of uh, countries internationally scolding Israel and telling them to exercise restraint, which is, I believe, the first time I've ever heard of the victim being chastised after experiencing such incredible and insurmountable pain. And through the week, I think there have been examples of that that have continued. For instance, that information comes out basically from the administration on Tuesday that they've looked into the situation and Iran is not involved in this conflict. How would they know that in 72 hours? How would they know that? And I think that this is uh, really concerning for someone like myself who happens to remember that 65 percent, John, almost two-thirds of the white people who marched with Dr. King in the Freedom Rides were Jewish. And 75% of the resources that were raised outside of the black community came from Jewish people. So I, it doesn't take me uh, more than a second to stand with Israel on the, in this conflict.
3: Governor, uh, yesterday, uh, I think you were present when we talked Uh, on Friday with uh, Larry Kudlow, one of the things is Hamas themselves doesn't have the power to do it by themselves. Iran, almost 99% of the people feel, in the know, feel that Iran somehow has been the supplier of weapons and money for Hamas. And Washington, Washington in the last two years has, Iran went from 400,000 barrels a day allowed them to go to 3.5 million barrels, and their earnings in, is $2 billion a week in oil because the oil market is $90, and that's where and, the money is
1: coming from. And within the next two months, they will have 10 times the oil that they had two years ago. It's like an outrage, and I want to know what are they doing to – what was the deal? In other words, what are they doing to compensate for this particular – situation that that exists between them and the United States government. It it's kind of outrageous. And we better kind of get it together because part of the the problem also it isn't just what what's going out of the country, it's also what's coming in in the sense that even in this conflict there were many who situated themselves inside the Israeli border to be part of the attack and uh, you know it, it didn't seem to be known that they were actually there So it's just a, a terrible thing i mean uh, that makes you think the only thing sometimes you can do is pray that somehow civility and common sense will overtake the planet because it's not there right now
3: well governor as me and you have spoken many times by curtailing the production of oil in north america we forced oil to ninety dollar situation And that's what's supplying money to Russia for the war in Ukraine and the war in Africa and to Iran for other uh, reasons. And it just, I'm scratching my head. It just doesn't make sense sometimes.
1: Well, the only thing I can say is that Martin Luther King supported the Six-Day War in 1967. And that, he drew a lot of criticism for that because they were saying that the, a lot of the uh, Palestinian refugees were living in poverty and that kind of thing. And he did go on to talk about the problems that the Palestinian refugees had. But the Palestinians voted for Hamas when when, when they had an election. So, you know, it's just one of those situations that really, I think, could plague us for a very long time if this government is not clearer uh, on exactly what its priorities are, because— it almost seems like they're apologizing for attacking the initial the the, the, the initial attack from a week ago.
3: Uh, and, and a last note: I feel sorry for the innocent Palestinians because the Hamas, which is a terrorist group running that country, financed by probably Iran, is creating taking the two million Palestinians and. A lot of them must be innocent, and, and using them as a shield. And I don't know what Israel can do to do the right thing, but they, they have to—look, they have to respond, in my opinion, and they have to take out—I I don't know. Maybe there's 5,000 uh, terrorists, maybe there's 10,000, but well, these people yeah, well, John... are being paid. They're being paid, in my opinion, to terrorize. They're not doing it for free, necessarily.
1: Yes, and the worst thing about it is some of them probably wouldn't have to be paid. That's just how they feel. I think uh, a, a lot of the Palestinians, there's a very good point you made, really do not like Hamas any more than we do and can't do anything about it. And that's part of the tragedy. But it's also part of war. I mean, we had some guests on this week that were talking about rescuing the hostages. It's very hard for me to actually say this, but it's going to be very, very, very hard. The Israelis were able to do it narrative on in, on Entebbe in 1976. But in this particular situation, if you have about 15 people locked up and you have a number of people guarding them, um, people say, well, when it, when they when you shoot at them, they have to protect themselves so they won't shoot the hostages. No, they will. They will. And that's the sad part about it.
3: Governor, let's pray. Uh, you know, today's Sunday, and I'll go to, I'm going to go to church later on, light a candle, let's pray. And uh, we'll talk on Monday and see if there's any progress being made. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. What is this Sunday morning? Is retired Congressman Peter King? So many things happening in the world. Uh, Congressman King, what the heck is going on?
6: Well, first of all, John, I can't be retired if I'm working for you. There's always something going on. So thank you very much for that. Actually, to me, the main thing that's going on, John, it's really tragic. It's what happened in Israel. As we know, the attacks last week were absolutely disgraceful, uh, horrible. In many ways, the worst since the Holocaust. To uh, you see young children, babies, women, senior citizens just killed for no reason other than to terrorize them. And now what I'm concerned about is, you know, the first few days, everyone was on Israel's side. But now we're hearing how Israel has to be careful, uh, can't uh, be too heavy-handed going after Hamas. The fact is, it is going to be tragic if civilian lives are lost, but uh, Hamas is hiding among the civilians. And if Israel doesn't move now to crush Hamas, to go in there, to go to those tunnels, they can, they can do this forever. The Hamas can continue to attack Israel because they're always going to be civilians. They're always going to be tied in with, you know, with the civilians. So we have to support Israel. And when people say, you know, we have to listen to both sides, we did not listen to both sides in World War II when it came to Hitler and Roosevelt. It was, we supported Roosevelt the United States. We didn't support Hitler. And I see this being the same thing now. What Hamas did is equivalent to what the Nazis were doing, and these demonstrators who were demonstrating for the Palestinians, for Hamas and against Israel. There's a lot of anti-Semitism there, anti-Americanism there, and we have to stand with Israel, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the days, weeks, and months ahead. This is not going to be easy going in there trying to root way, out Hamas. The
3: way I look at it, some of these terrorists, were given weapons by somebody, were given cash by somebody. They got sophisticated weapons that they found someplace. It could be the weapons from Afghanistan. And they're given, I'm sure they were paid to go in there and just kill people, which is, it's not a war because soldiers fight soldiers. They were out there just killing people.
6: And killing people for the sake of killing them. I mean, there was no objective other than to terrorize, and I believe Iran was behind the whole thing. And also, you're right about the weapons from Afghanistan ended up there. And, John, what makes it even what adds to this is the fact that the Republicans in Congress aren't even a speaker of the House when it's essential now that we'd be voting on matters involving Israel, that we'd be sending aid to Israel, and yet we can't have an elected speaker. And to me, uh, the removal of Kevin McCarthy, whether people support him or not, he was the speaker. You can't be removing people. And it was never done before in the history of the country just because you have some kind of a policy disagreement on that issue, especially when you have no one to take his place. This is irresponsible. It makes the Republicans look bad, and we should be united. And also, I think it was wrong for President Trump to be criticizing. Uh, I mean, the Biden common sense the
3: Republicans, Yahoo. what should be the strategy and how they should handle those eight people? Any, uh, any idea?
6: You mean as far as the speaker you're talking about?
3: Yes, uh, how to handle them in the future. They have, they, they, uh, have eight crucial votes.
6: Uh, we, they, have to, they have to get behind someone. They have to find someone, and maybe someone who doesn't have, like, a long-term future ahead of them, someone like a Tom Cole, someone who is respected and he can agree to serve out the rest of this year and next year as Speaker. He's not looking for anything to advance his career. We have to have someone there so, to be sitting at the table, to be able to uh, advance the legislation that we need to continue to be a world power. You can't have the worst crisis in years happening internationally and having the Congress sidelined because Republicans are fighting between Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise, it's insanity.
3: I agree with you. Congressman King, thank you so much for calling in this Sunday morning. And hope sanity prevails. And I'll see you on Monday. Absolutely. See you tomorrow, John. Thanks. With us today is uh, Paul Zuber. He's executive vice president of the New York State Business Council, representing over uh, 3,000 businesses in uh, New York State. Paul Zuber, give us an update. Where the heck we are? There's such turmoil and almost everything. Give us an update.
7: Well, you know, there, there, there's a lot of turmoil, John, because I think something that we've all discussed and talked about is the affordability of New York and why people are leaving the state and why it's costing so much to live in this state. And I think from the Business Council's perspective, uh, one of our major concerns has been the direction the state has been taking on some of the climate legislation that's been passed over the last uh, several years. Um, We as an organization are not opposed to renewables. We support renewables. We think renewables should be part of the system. What we're concerned with is there is a complete lack of transparency to the public as to actually what the costs will be for the public as we move to this transition. And it's not just with renewables in terms of wind and solar. It's also with, you know, electric vehicles and how much are they going to cost and how much is it going to cost to businesses and consumers. Um, so it's, it's a real issue, and, and we are decided to put together a campaign to kind of inform the public so the public can make a decision based on facts rather than decisions based on rhetoric from both sides of, of the debate
3: many people know that windmills and solar energy is not going to work completely to to retool all of America. And maybe it it might be a small portion. And many people are concerned about the windmills because a lot of whales are dying in the uh, the Atlantic Ocean and along the Jersey coast, along the uh, Long Island coast. And there's concerns about that. And There will be an alternative fuel, and what they're talking about these days is SMRs, which is small modular reactors, nuclear reactors that will probably be put into effect over the next 20, 30 years.
7: I think, John, the problem that we see with what the state is doing is we can build out renewables without necessarily having to take current energy sources off line so what I think the state should be thinking about is building out renewables keeping those current alternative sources of energy online and incentivize those companies to make those alternative forms of energy even greener than they actually already are green right because what's going to ha- what's happening and what our concern is is the New York independent system operators which looks at the entire electric grid overall in the state has already said that there are potentially reliability issues because transmission connections have not been made to many of these renewable projects so why are we even thinking about taking some of these things offline before we build out our renewables and we know exactly what type of capacity we have so it's it's a major issue and you know one thing i I kind of want to want to say to the to the listening audience you know, there's a lot of rhetoric about storms and this type of thing. And, and look, we should be thinking about the environment and the business council is thinking about the environment. But let's not forget, New York State accounts for 0.04 percent of the greenhouse greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. That's less than a, than a half of one percent. So it's not as if New York is is China and we're polluting the rest of the world. We are actually one of the leaders when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. So if the argument is that we need to do this climate law because we need to be a leader, that's fine, but let's talk to the public about how much this is gonna cost.
3: Also, the electric car group, a lot of the companies are getting uh, feedback that the electric cars are not selling. And uh, I think the Toyota chairman had the best idea, uh, make all the cars possible, and let the consumer pick out what kind of car they want to buy.
7: Yeah, I I, I agree. But, you know, there's, there's another aspect, again, why we want to educate the public about electric vehicles. So by 2035, we're going to move all school buses to electric vehicle school buses. That's that That's great. But New York City has already said that it will cost about $2.2 2 billion to convert all their school buses to electric school buses. But that's not including the fact that you're going to have to build charging stations within school districts so the buses can charge up. Up here in the um, capital district region where I live, there's a school district right now that's just looking at building charging stations to charge school buses have been told it's going to cost in excess of $25 million to do that. That's just one school district. So who's paying for that? That's the question. Right. I don't I can't answer it because I don't think anybody can answer it. It's the school district is the taxpayer. Are the schools going to have to cut programs? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. You know, and, and what is going to be the impact on businesses on on the taxpayer? And, and that's the things that we kind of want to bring forth with this campaign is not to not to say renewables are bad, but to say to the public, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is practically what's going to happen. Are you OK with it? Are you okay with your costs going? if you are that's fine then then we can then we can go forward, but the public really doesn't understand what's going on here well, because that, no one is
3: actually to them. well that's what's been happening it's been the, Washington has been trying to shove it down to consumers' throat, and everybody's now objecting to it, it, it It's a problem and, uh, and I'm it, glad it, uh, it, the, I, I am glad your 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 business council is speaking out on it, and uh, I will participate in anything you need to help, for help from me.
7: Well, I, I appreciate it because, you know, I think it's an important issue. And, again, if we're talking about attracting businesses into New York State, you know, there's a couple of things that they look at, not only housing costs, but they also look at energy costs because if I'm a business, I'm going to have to pay my employees more if I move into a state where energy, where housing costs are high and energy costs are high. So that's why I, I, I'll look, I'll be like Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan Chase and go to Dallas, right? You know, so these are the type of things that people have to understand. There's a bigger picture here, right? And all we're at, all we're saying is let's talk about it.
3: Uh, we got a minute left. Anything else you want to say? You know, I, I
7: think, John, um, you know, affordability is going to be a big thing going forward. Um, you know, we're not going to be looking at a very good budget. Um, I'm already told by some that you we can probably expect tax revenues to be down in New York State. It's time that we start thinking about the taxpayer um, and stop thinking about putting all these crazy programs together that are that are driving people out of the state.
3: Well, Zuber, thank you for speaking up to the business persons of new york state otherwise there's going to be no business people left thank you so much and let's (laughs) catch up again real soon
7: all right thank you john i appreciate it
3: this is the catch round table we'll be right back
5: welcome back to the catch round table and joining us now is the former commissioner of the nypd and of also many other offices around the country, too, as well, uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton. Commissioner, uh, real quick, uh, you wrote, boy, a, a blockbuster story, just talking about how thin, uh, sadly, that the NYPD is and how concerned you are about the counterterrorism unit of all times right now. Can you talk about that and why, boy, it is so important to have our men and women in blue? Mm-hmm.
2: The first of the article you're referring to, Rita, was in the New York Post uh, today, I believe. I'm actually in Santa Monica, excuse me, uh, San Diego, California, attending a major city chief's conference with the 75 chiefs of the largest cities in Canada and the U.S. So there's a lot of conversation, as you might imagine, about what's going on in Israel. That New York Post uh, piece I wrote was to uh, make it known that the defund effort of the city council several years ago has impacted significantly on the NYPD. And the department has about 3,000 fewer offices than we had several years ago. And the City Council will just not hire any more. At the same time, they're complaining about the department's overuse of overtime. They're using overtime to make up for the loss of those three thousand offices. And so what happens? Those offices are getting worn out. But more critically, ironically, at this time, the counterterrorism capabilities of the department, which were extraordinarily large, 1,000 uh, detectives in the intelligence bureau uh, created by Commissioner Kelly, 1,200 officers in two units created by me when I was commissioner, those units are now down by about 400 officers from their peak strength. Why? Because the police department is a trading down. It's not growing. And ironic, uh, ironic as it is, that that strength has been weakened at just this critical moment. So that was the thrust of that article.
3: Well, uh, Commissioner, I am worried about our capabilities of, uh, uh, that we did have to keep track of all terrorists coming into our borders and working with uh, the federal agencies. Uh,
2: what say you about that? Well, the good news, John, is that the capabilities of the NYPD are still superb. They closely coordinate through the Joint Terrorism Task Force with all of the federal agencies involved in dealing with terrorism issues. You're referring, I think, to issues along the southern border or Canadian border. But here in New York, even with the shortage of those personnel and those uh, units and the overworking of the offices of the NYPD, the city is still being extraordinarily well-served by its counterterrorism uh, personnel. Uh, This morning, Rebecca Weiner, who is the uh, new head of Counterterrorism Intelligence, In the NYPD, replacing John Miller, gave a superb presentation by video, uh, and actually she did not want to leave New York in the middle of this crisis, to the 75 chiefs about what to expect going forward. One of the things we need to understand, while they called for a day of jihad today, not much has happened. I understand there's a demonstration in Times Square right now that at 7 o'clock they're going to march up to the uh, uh, Israeli consulate on 42nd Street and 2nd Ave. But other than that, not much happening. But this crisis is not a one-day situation. If uh, they go in this weekend into Gaza, which is anticipated, uh, we are in for weeks of unsettled concerns about uh, the idea of increased terrorism. So we'll have to understand this is not a one-day event, that people are going to have to kind of adjust their lives around the idea that there is an increased threat potential. But fortunately, in New York, we've got superb capabilities to defend against it, or God forbid if they were an incident, to respond to it.
3: This is John Katz from If you want to hear the full interview, go to wabcradio.com.
5: We have Professor Emeritus at Harvard uh, and also great author Alan Dershowitz. Professor Dershowitz, uh, there are massive protests taking place all over the country, all over the world, and in fact, right now, as we speak in Times Square, there are thousands of people uh, on both sides. There is supposed to be, I think it's like two or three thousand at least. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out the both sides. You know, to me, uh, there's the victim was Israel. And yet some of the vitriol that we have heard on this day of rage is scary, Professor Dershowitz.
8: Well, let me tell you which side isn't represented. There's nobody out there calling for a two state solution. There's nobody out there calling for peace. There's really nobody out there calling for the end of the occupation. What they're calling for is the end of Israel. They're calling for ethnic cleansing, genocide. They're calling for the Hamas charter, which is an anti-Semitic charter. But nobody is calling for a two-state solution for modification, for reasonableness, for compromise. This is the Hamas side calling for the destruction of Israel, cheering on, right, cheering on, beheading. So... You know the Palestinian people aren't being represented there. The people who are represented there are the killers, the murderers, and and, and the rapists. And 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 you know who supports this? The City University of New York Law School um, students at Harvard, uh, students at Yale. They're on the side of the killers. Now they deny that. They say, oh no no, we're only there for the Palestinians. Well, the Palestinians aren't in favor of Hamas. They hate Hamas. Hamas killed the Palestinian leaders. Hamas doesn't want a two-state solution. Hamas wants an end of the occupation of Israel. That is, they want, as all the signs say, from the river to the sea, which means the end of Tel Aviv, the end of West Jerusalem, the end of Bnei Brak, the end of Haifa. They just want the end of Israel. So let's not think that this is just, oh, one side for the Palestinians, one side for Israel. No, it's It's murderers and Nazis on one side. Nazis, that's who they are. And anyone who supports Hamas should be treated exactly the way you would treat a Klansman, a Nazi, somebody who supported lynching, somebody who supported throwing bombs into black churches. That's what this is.
5: You know, Professor Gershowitz, did you see this is stunning because the Israelis are now saying we're about to do this incursion into northern Gaza. Uh, they've telegraphed it they're even there's they're saying good people get out they're even dropping leaflets warning them over there saying you know get out and yet there are reports now that hamas is not letting the palestinians out because they want them uh they they're clearly going to use them for human shields i mean where just exactly to your point where are the palestinians saying let our people out
8: no they they want the people to stay and die um One of the Hamas leaders back several years ago said – there's a tape of it – we love death like you love life. Our children, our women, and the elderly, we use them for human shields because we want them to become martyrs. So Hamas admits that it uses women. It also says – and you hear this on CNN, too – half of the Gaza is children. That is such nonsense. What they count as children are 17- and 18-year-olds – who are throwing Molotov cocktails, and who were involved in the attack on Israel. Yeah, they're 17 and 18, but they're not children. They're murderers. They also say, we have women. Yeah, we have women. You know how many women participated in the attack on uh, on Israel? Plenty of them. So don't tell me that if you're a woman or if you're a 17-year-old, somehow you deserve to be treated like you're a 3-year-old. The 3-year-olds in Israel were burned to death. Those are children. Not the Hamas terrorists. They're not children. They're murderers who happen to be below the age of
3: 18. This is John Katz from If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCradio.com. This is the Katz Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Katz Roundtable. With us today is former mayor of the city of New York, Bill de Blasio. And he was mayor from two 2000- thousand and fourteen to 2021, and uh, 109th mayor of the city of New York. Um, mayor de Blasio, how you, you're out of office now for two and a half so, or sort years. How do you feel? What are you doing? Your friends and the people in New York would like to know.
9: Well, I appreciate it, John, and I, I want to thank you, as always. Every time we talk, every time I see you, I think about our friendship, and I think about everything you've done for the city. I want to thank you, and you keep doing for the city. I really want to thank you. And, look, you know, I'll tell you, there is life on the outside, you know, for the last uh, year there and a is half. Life plus, after, I, there is life after being mayor? There is absolutely life after being mayor. And, you know, so it's been a little over a year and a half. Uh, I've been teaching, you know, this, this year teaching at New York University. Uh, last year I did a little stint up at Harvard. Uh, that's been really great, seeing a lot of great young people who want to be part of making the city, making the country better. That's been really exciting. And, you know, working on a lot of interesting uh, issues. So i I'm, i got to tell you, it's been, it's been nice to get a break, especially after those two years uh, that I was governing during COVID. And uh, I'm counting my blessings. You know, we got through that the, the way we did. But you know, i got to tell you also, I miss I missed so many of the people I worked with who were incredible, and uh, you know we were able to do some good things, and that's uh, that's the part that I think anyone who has the honor of being and the privilege of being mayor of this city to feel the life of the city the way only a mayor can, and to have an impact, you know, it's an extraordinary thing, and uh, you you always have to appreciate that.
3: Now uh, you know you were mayor during COVID. You were mayor. I'm sure we had a lot of threats under your time as mayor. New York uh, is under threat again, uh, being threatened by uh, various uh, people in the, in the uh, I guess, Hamas in the Middle East. How do you feel about New York being under threat again? I mean, we, we we suffered through 9-11. We suffered through COVID. We suffered through so many things. What do you, what say you? Well, look,
9: this is a very painful moment. I want to you know, not just for for Jewish New Yorkers, all New Yorkers should be feeling right now uh, just just a sense of pain and horror at what we saw from Hamas. It was it was disgusting, inhumane. Um, we really, it's really important at this point. It can't be any you know moral relativism or or mixing words here. What we saw was disgusting, unacceptable, and it needs to be condemned by everyone across the spectrum. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm teaching at NYU. Uh, We had a very unfortunate situation with a student leader uh, trying to justify uh, the terrorism of Hamas. Luckily, a lot of us in the NYU community uh, spoke out against that very quickly. Um, I think that's what people have to do. Uh, We have to make uh, very, very clear, of course, we stand with the people of Israel. And the one thing, because New Yorkers have felt terrorism, we know exactly what terrorism is in ways that a lot of other people uh, haven't experienced. We've got to condemn it uh, wholeheartedly the second you see it. And by the way, I think President Biden, his speech was one of the best examples of that I've ever seen in my life, and obviously from the heart. But for New York City right now, we got to be ready. You know, during my time as mayor, working with our police commissioner at the time, Bill Bratton, we started the Critical Response Command. Uh, that was a specific anti-terrorism unit within the NYPD because we knew that we had to beef up our capacity. Uh, we learned after 9-11, John, that, you know, New York City was so often having to protect itself and, and it was so important to have our own strength. And what we saw with Hamas is another reminder, that, you know, even though until then it was a little quiet for a few years, it's not something that's going away in the world and we have to be ready. So I am quite certain NYPD is uh, very effectively on full alert right now and something that something should reassure New Yorkers. But let's be clear, let's be honest, this this threat's going to exist in the world for quite a while, and we've got to protect ourselves.
3: Tell us, you you taught school up at Harvard, uh, Kennedy School, and you're teaching now at NYU. Which one do you like better?
9: Well, I'm a New Yorker, so I like being in New York better. I grew up, part of my upbringing was up there in Massachusetts, so it was nice to experience that again. And, you know, obviously Harvard's an amazing institution, but no, this it's not even close. I went to NYU as an undergrad. That, John, that's the cool part. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to young people now who are literally exactly sitting, like, I mean, literally sitting where I was sitting when I was a student. The same building, you know, in, in the same classrooms, and uh, I'm teaching graduates and undergraduates, but particularly when I'm talking to the undergraduates, I'm like, it's an amazing feeling to go full circle. And come back to your alma mater which you know when i was a kid at nyu starting at age 18 i had no idea what life would bring and the one thing i knew was you know i loved new york deeply and and that love just grew year after year but i never imagined back then i'd be mayor one day and you know who knows maybe one of the kids i'm talking to in in one of my classes will be mayor one day so that's a it's an amazing feeling to help the next generation. And I've got to tell you, John, I'm seeing a lot of um, energy, idealism, a desire to serve. Uh, I, I, I thought I might confront cynicism. I've actually seen quite the opposite. I've seen a lot of very, very sincere young people who want to be part of uh, solving these big challenges we face.
3: Harvard is going through a, well, is it a change of life or whatever you want to call it, where uh, people at Harvard seems, you know, and you, you said you are pro Israel. It seems to be more pro Hamas than pro uh, Israel. Uh, you actually went there, you spent time there. Give us the pulse of how you see things.
9: Well, John, I understand why you raise it, because there have been some student groups who, you know, I'm, I think would really, really inappropriately uh, seem to be backing what Hamas did, or at least not condemning it the way they need to. You know, even if someone who says, oh, I want a different future for the Palestinian people, well, start by condemning the horrid, disgusting terrorism of Hamas that was inhumane and, and should never be considered an example of anything about the Palestinian people. So I, I, would, I would say to anybody out there who says they care about Palestinians, start by condemning Hamas and what they've done. And then you can talk about, of course, whatever else you believe. I think some of the groups at Harvard haven't done that. And I, you know, because I still have a connection there, I also joined and signed on to a letter that a number of organizations at Harvard uh, sponsored to say, uh, we don't accept this. We don't accept uh, any form of uh, terrorism. And uh, we don't accept that uh, the environment on the campus includes organizations that, that somehow don't think it's necessary to see us all as human beings. That if Jewish lives are being destroyed and children killed in front of their families, that, that, that you know, somehow that doesn't need to be spoken to. Of course it has to be condemned. But I would say to you, John, I don't, I don't think the, the groups that have had the wrong position are the majority by any stretch. I think they're unquestionably a minority at Harvard. I think the key thing in all American academic institutions is to speak up and the leadership just to say very clearly, uh, we condemn this terrorism. We stand by democracy, and Israel is a democracy. There's you know, a lot that needs to be done in Israel uh, going forward, and I'm, st- I'm still a believer in the two-state solution, and I'm, I'm someone who has a strong critique of what uh, Netanyahu has done, particularly lately on these uh, judicial changes. I think you got to protect democracy in Israel. That's part of what makes Israel so strong. But, you know, you can have those political differences and still say, let's, let's defend the state of Israel no matter what because of what it means in the world. It's the only refuge that the Jewish people have. After, um, you know, millennia of being under attack, Israel is absolutely necessary. Now let's do the work of peace, but that can't involve the horrible terrorists that we've seen in these last days.
3: The great divide we have in Washington, I mean, it, it doesn't go back to the days when, well, Bill Clinton and uh, Newt Gingrich didn't like each other, but they did a good job for our country. But right now, what the heck is going on in Washington, and how, how do we fix it?
9: You know, it's, it's very difficult watch this because it's not the america that we all know and it doesn't you know what a what a strange thing especially in the middle of this crisis in the middle east you know here's america we can't elect a speaker of the house of representatives that's not america this is something a bigger problem we got to solve you know i I will say um, you you can imagine i'm not someone who's necessarily a big fan or friend of kevin mccarthy or uh, mitch mcconnell but both of them did show the ability to work with joe biden Uh, to come to some agreements on some things we've actually had some really important bipartisan legislation like the chips act and and some of the infrastructure work and clearly on the budget process you know until this recent uprising by a very small number of extreme right republicans you know there was still some kind of modus vivendi going on in washington to get some things done but i think in the end john what gives me hope is that really extreme group within the Republican Party, they are, they are still a very small group. I, I, you know, obviously have some big disagreements with um, the message of the Republican Party of today. I don't think it looks like the Republican Party of the past by any stretch. But you look at the individual members of the House and Senate, a lot of them are people who are trying to do serious work and trying to be reasonable. And if it weren't for this just handful, you know, business would be uh, going on and going forward. I think the solution is going to be a political one. I think the American people are going to look at this with disgust, and they're going to respond to it in the uh, election next year. And the, and the bigger question is, until we correct this dysfunction and this strange, you know, inability of people to work together, it, you really almost always need to have the three branches, you know, the House, Senate, and or not, you know, I should say two branches, the Congress and the, the presidency.
3: All we actually have four branches. Parties. We have the, the Congress, the Senate, the Executive Office, and, and the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I'm saying,
9: if to get anything done nowadays, you need you need House and Senate and Presidency all in the same party, realistically, until the day that people restore uh, some of the normal ability to get along. I mean, John, you and I, uh, I like to remind people in a good way. We actually were in the same election for mayor together, and, and we, we were civilized. Were, you know, right, we were not only civilized, we're friends. You know, it's like we we like each other. We can hang out. We can talk. It's like it's not that I don't know when it became this thing that if you disagree with someone, you still can't be their friend or their neighbor or agree on the things we agree on. mean, the stuff you've done, the work you've done with the Police Athletic League, for example, you know, everyone should applaud that. You know, uh, God bless you for helping so many kids. You know, there's plenty of examples. Like, I could disagree with you on an issue but still say I'm really thankful that you're doing such good things for the city. Why we got to model that. we got to show that that's the way it should be in Washington also.
3: We should all work together towards uh, having uh, – uh, argue during the day in the old Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill and have a beer at 6 o'clock after, after the day's work.
9: Have a have a big Greek meal at the end of the day. <laughs> you
3: know? Okay. We'll do that too. <laughs> Well, Mayor Bill de Blasio, the 109th mayor of the city of New York, thank you for your input. And uh, we'd like to have more uh, discussions in, in, in the future. And uh, and good luck in everything you do. And uh, thank you for helping the people in New York. That's really kind of you, John. I
9: look forward to, to more conversations. And thank you for always having this kind of dialogue, because you are showing people the way it's supposed to be. It gives It gives us a little bit of hope. So thank you for that.
3: Thank you. Dialogue is important. And uh, have, a, have a good weekend and hope there's no war in uh, Israel. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.